to another audio podcast by ChristchurchChristianCentre.org. I'd like to preach to you from John chapter 6, the first 15 verses. Turn it up. Uh, Liam said a good thing, you open your Bibles or switch them on, which I'm going to steal. So open your Bibles or switch them on. To John 6, verse... 1 to 15. And it says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in, this, in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophets should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. My apologies, I read the King James Version and I forgot to switch my computer when I uh, copied and pasted the verses. So it might sound a little bit uh, different to what you're used to reading. Shall I move this down, Steve? Shall I move this down? Every time I breathe, it puffs. Or is it all right? Don't breathe. Excellent. (gasps) Up a bit. Okay. Yeah? Is that better? Oh yeah, that does sound better, doesn't it? Um, this is obviously a very famous passage of the Bible, Jesus feeds the 5,000. <clears> and I looked up in my, on my computer, I preached on it last February, uh, uh, February 2016. But interestingly, uh, when I wrote my first draft of this sermon, I, didn't, I wasn't going to say anything that I'd said in 2016. And then today I rewrote it. And I'm still not saying anything that I said in 2016. And the Bible's wonderful, isn't it, like that? You, there is so much uh, within it. So tonight, what I wanted to do was to pick out some of the characteristics of our great Lord Jesus and see how he reacts to uh, the various things within the passage. Because as human beings, it, it, we can sometimes start to feel a bit like God's maybe a bit too too high and too, too much. He's almost becomes like a, a bit of an ogre in our minds. We so want to get it right for him, which is good and proper. But he starts to become this kind of thing that we, 
we must get ourselves right before we can uh, move him to, to do the things that we need him to do. And I, so I just wanted to, to look at what Jesus is and does uh, in this passage and hopefully encourage us, if we have started to think like that, um, perhaps to, to just uh, rethink and re- re-look at who Jesus is um, in, in that respect. So the first thing is Jesus knew their need before he was told. He didn't need to be told about the need of the people. A great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come. And then he immediately says to Philip, where shall we buy bread? Where shall we find bread for these people? Obviously, they're hungry and he wants to to give them something to eat. He wants to meet their need. That's his immediate reaction. Hey, Philip, look at this need. Let's, let's meet this need, my boy. Come on, what are we going to do? He had compassion. In the passage in Matthew, which tells the same story, it said he saw them, he lifted up his eyes, and he, had, he was filled with compassion for them. And compassion, the word literally is to, <laughs> sounds funny, to have the bowels yearn. there's a need do you know what I mean it's a it's a deep-seated this they need they need and obviously Jesus can do something about it and then in Latin the word means to suffer with so to yearn from the from the pit of the stomach and also to suffer with to live this suffering it's not just oh there's someone in need you see adverts don't you charity adverts and they're 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 wrenching aren't they They, they're made that way because they Rightly so, they want, they want your money. The latest one I've seen is um, children sleeping rough in Pakistan, that they're trying to get um, children off the streets. And, it, and it's a great need, isn't it? And you start to yearn. You, but it's not in the same way. We don't, we don't live it. We see the advert, maybe some of you send money, I don't know. But then we switch off and we're watching the football or, or whatever we're watching, because that's what we really turned on the TV to see. But Jesus here is he's filled with compassion. He's suffering with these people. And it says, in, again, in the Matthew passage, he viewed them as sheep without a shepherd. His first thought was to meet their need. My dad, his first thought would be, you stupid idiot. Why have you come out here with no food? What are you doing? What were you thinking? Even though he's got the means to give me food. What were you thinking? Coming here with no food, you Stupid people. All right, then, I'll meet the need. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't jump up and down and tell them how daft they've been. He actually wants to bless them. He wants to bless them. He doesn't want to cause them to despair. He feels their need with him. So he's got this, I really want to meet the need. Jesus wants to meet our need. And he does, doesn't he? And then Jesus starts to give his disciples some instruction. Because he starts to say, well, come on, what are we going to do? And they immediately, don't they, they start to think, well, there's X people and we need X bread and we may have 200 pennies in our pocket or denarii in some, uh, some versions. So if we spent that, we'd have a little, just a tiny bit for everyone to, to have. That's the disciples' first thing. We can do something. And sometimes we're like that. We can do something. But the disciples' something wouldn't really have met the need in the way that Jesus wanted to meet the need. And again, 
he gently starts to coax them through it. And again, there's no kind of... My dad, when he taught me things, he would get to a certain point and you could see him. Just give it to me! Just give it to me! Just go and sit over there. I really never learned anything practical as a child. Because that would be... <laughs> we'd get to that point. Whatever we were doing, bicycle, plumbing, anything, fishing, motorbike riding, we'd get to a certain point and you could just see Dad explode. He'd go purple and explode, and then he'd do it on his own. And I never really learned. But Jesus doesn't do that. He gently coaxes them through it. He shows them care and consideration when they don't quite see it. And he takes it a step at a time, doesn't he? He doesn't give them the whole thing at once. Well, this is what you're going to do. He's there with them every step of the way. What have you got? There's a young lad here with five loaves and two small fish. That's what we've got. And then Jesus, okay, make them sit down. So then obviously you could break off and start to teach about faith here. That the disciples had to make them sit down. They didn't see All they saw was five loaves and two fish. But we're looking at Jesus today. So considerately, he's walking them through it. He's leading them and guiding them. And we've been learning, haven't we, over the months and weeks, weeks and months, months and weeks, about Jesus, our shepherd, uh, from the psalm. And the different things that a shepherd does for his sheep. I've been quite interested, Dave, to learn from this uh, shepherd chap uh, in your book. It's (laughs) very good. Um, how he did it. So when they didn't quite see it, he was gentle and he was kind with them. He didn't get his rod out and whack them, but he gently guided them through it. Now, this is what I want you to do next. And then he breaks the bread and he breaks the fish. He said, now go and hand it out. So you see all the time, he's just a little step ahead of them, but not too far, always keeping it within reach. Uh, Interestingly, I've got ducks at home. And uh, I don't know if you knew, but... um, I hate to say this, but up to north, they use ducks to train sheepdogs because uh, ducks herd even more than sheep do. It's quite interesting, actually. Ducks will just go and come together and then move. And you don't really need to do anything to them. But I've got a stick at home. When I let my ducks out, I have a stick. And if you do this, they just move away from the stick. You don't have to do anything with it. You just kind of wave it out and they move they kind of guide it and you can guide them pretty much any way you want if you start doing this they just go and they scatter everywhere and you then you're kind of your your reaction is to chase them then and then they're even more you know they start opening their wings and falling over and flapping about but if you're gentle with them with your stick like a shepherd would be you you can lead them you can get them going where you want them to go but it's, if you start to show them that you're going to whack them, it's, they just, they just, you've lost them. And I wonder if that was what Jesus was doing, just waving it slightly by the side to keep them where he wanted them to go. I had two uh, drumming teachers when I learned to drum. One of them was a really good teacher, the other one wasn't. And I won't tell you their names, some of you will know them. <clears throat> one of them was always saying, now that's not right. Everything, now that's not right. That's not right. He taught me my left-hand grip. That's not right. This is right. That's not right. And it's just every lesson you went to, that was all you heard, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. And I'm quite an obstinate character, so that doesn't really bother me. But for some, it would crush. Because all you heard was, that's not right. 
And then he would say, this is right, and he would do some <laughs> massive drum solo that you could never attain. And, you, and I just look at him thinking, just show me the next bit. Just show me the bit that I can attain that's just a little bit in front of me. The other drum teacher was, um, was excellent because he would say, what did you do there? That was really good. Now try this. And he would show you a little bit more. And you felt that you could attain it. Because you could, because that was how he was doing it. Here, now, now take another step. Take another step. And that's really what Jesus was like here. And I can just, this is conjecture. Preacher's conjecture. I think he was looking at wanting them to be able to get on on their own. Not on their own, but without him being physically and tangibly to touch there. So that when they face situations like this at another time, they knew what to do. Consider this passage in Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, beginning the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked, and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. So it makes you wonder whether this situation with the loaves and the fish was like a stepping stone. This is what you do. You don't look at the impossible. You, you look to me. You've got nothing. I've got nothing. But this is what I have got. The, the people, we've got nothing to feed them with, but this is what we've got. This kind of mirrors here of the things that happened with Jesus to the things that were going to happen afterwards. Like a stepping stone, a building block for later Christian ministry. So the idea was they simply had to allow Jesus to work. And that was what Peter and John did. They, it was just allow Jesus to work. There's, there's nothing else, really. The guy's begging, and today perhaps we would, we would try and unravel why he, maybe why he was on the floor, whose fault was it, etc., etc. There was none of that. Just, this is what I've got. Receive it. So Peter learned, to look, learned from Jesus to look to him for the answers. Another thing was that Jesus asked them to give only what they had. The young lad gave all that he had when he was asked. He gave all. And Jesus took what they had and used that to work with. So he didn't say, go to the shop, get something that you haven't got. He didn't want them to look at the problem and try and work it out for themselves. And Jesus didn't look to them to attain a certain level before he would work. He just wanted what they had at the time. Jesus takes us as we are, and he works with what we've got. I remember someone telling me once that uh, they worked in London. They lived here, worked in London, and uh, they gave the time on the train to God. And from that, he was able to run this church. He preached three times a week, ran the youth, and pretty much everything else that was going on. Because his little boy's lunch, which is what he called it, was this hour and a half on the train there, hour and a half on the way back. And from that, 
God did everything because that was what he had to work with and so that was what God was able to use. He wants to use what we've got, not what we haven't got. I've used my dad again. I'm glad he's, he's not hiding anywhere, is he? My dad plays tennis and I used to take the mickey out of him and call him Boris because whenever we played tennis, he would uh, just... He'd be having a go at me all the time, because I'm not very good at tennis. But he would start to say, because you're not very good, you're making me not very good. And I said, Dad, but you should be able to wipe the floor with me, whoever I am. Recently, I've said to him, I'd like to come to your club and play tennis. And he said, whoa, you're not fit enough. I said, no, but that's why I want to play tennis, because I want to get fit. He said, oh, no, you can't play tennis until you're fit. I said, well, how am I supposed to get fit? This is what I've got to work with, and I'd like to play tennis to get fit. But, so he's got this thing of, you need to be here before you can start. So how do I get from here to here? And it's just uh, quite, quite comical, really. But Jesus wasn't like that. I think if Jesus was taking me to play tennis, he'd say, I'll hit it softly so that you can hit it. And then I'll hit it a little bit harder, and we'll work our way through. So when we give what we have, God definitely blesses it and he multiplies it and he uses it actually to work great miracles and to to get the job done. So Jesus met the people's needs without any fuss and without any pomp. If you notice, they gave him the little boy's bread and what does he do? He breaks it and gives it to them. He says, now go and distribute it. So there's there's not even any great kind of ceremony or anything like that he just gives thanks thank you lord now go and go and take it away simple and the blessing flowed when they did what he said so again we see jesus is telling them something and they just simply do it and it and it happens because that that's really that's really god isn't it we can't make it happen we not we got to wait for jesus to say this is what i want now go and do it Go and do it, and we'll see uh, Jesus doing whatever he's told us to do. They handed it out, and the bread and the fish just kept coming. And finally, Jesus' meeting of the need was, I've put down here a rather youthful phrase, super abundant, dude, super abundant. It was more and more than was needed. If you notice, it says, they all ate as much as they wanted, and were filled. They all stuffed their face. So it wasn't just a little meal. It was, can't eat them all. No, I don't want any more. No more bread, no more fish. My father-in-law once, we went on holiday, and we had a sausage-eating competition for a week. I cooked sausages every morning, as many sausages as we could buy. And uh, it was like the Thursday morning or something, and he shouted down the stairs, tell Mark, no more sausages. And then a little while later, he said, maybe I'll have two. But the thing is, there was too much. When Jesus here blessed the bread and the fish, there was too much. It was an abundance. They could eat no more. And he even made leftovers. And I was thinking, why the 12, ba- why the 12 baskets? And I've always thought, because there were 12 disciples and maybe they needed some packed lunch for the next day. But someone actually recently said, well, maybe it's because there were 12 tribes. And it's maybe symbolic of the 12 tribes. I don't know. And then Nina said, oh, I just thought there were 12 baskets. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'll leave that one with you. If you know the answer, please do tell me. Um, because, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to know. But the point is he made enough to fill all. And there were leftovers. Great. Jesus is, will meet needs and then some. So, to conclude, 
Um, Jesus is the God who sees your need before you tell him. You won't surprise Jesus, will you? He, he knows everything. There was a word this morning, before the world began, God saw you. Jesus knows your need before you tell him, which is a great, great thing. And he's not going to scold you or chide you or anything like that for, for the position that you find yourself in. <clears throat> he's not going to seek to place a heavy burden on you because you're his sheep. You're his, you've been given to him by God. You're God's children. He has compassion on you and seeks to build you up and not tear you down. So if you feel like God is kind of becoming this, uh, I don't know, just this, it's too heavy. Remember that Jesus isn't really like that. Jesus has compassion and wants to meet your need. And when Jesus meets your need, it's, it's really easy. It's not easy in, while you're praying it through and while you're in the valley, but when he meets your need, it's, it flows. It, it just flows because Jesus is like that. You're not supposed to feel, if I may borrow from the Bible, to, like you're straining a gnat or eating a camel. It, it's easy because Jesus has abundant grace and abundant mercy. And be, because he loves you, he meets your need. Not because you've worked hard enough or you've done enough duty. or And I think this might be for someone today, not because you feel guilty enough. Not because you feel guilty enough. Because you've, you've prostrated yourself enough or you've laid your soul bare enough. It's not about that. It's about Jesus loves you. Simply that he loves you and you've asked him. He knows how to give good gifts to his children, good gifts to those that ask him. This is Jesus. This is our Jesus. He loves you. Jesus gently leads, guides, and instructs, and he wants you to grow through the experiences he takes you through. He doesn't want you to feel beaten up by the process. He wants you, like his disciples, to be able to move on and use this experience in the future. And fear doesn't allow you to do that. If you're afraid that you're going to make a mistake, if you're afraid that God's going to try and whack you into shape, that's, that's, it's just no good for the future. You need, to be, uh, you need to know that Jesus is gently leading you through, gently guiding you in every step. So that when you come to the, the next stage, you say, oh yeah, I've seen that, I know how to do that. I know how to fix my bike. I know how to plumb in a dishwasher. Uh, you know, I didn't because Dad, you know, he sort of, I just get to a stage and, oh no, I can't do that. And, I, and actually from that I know, I get to a stage and it really happens. I have to battle through the stage of, it's all going to fall apart and I'm not going to be able to do it. Because of the way I was brought up in this, in this thing. But Jesus is not like that. He wants to show you every step of the way. So you can do it. So you can do it. Not by yourselves, with him still, but you're more confident to do it. Matthew 11, verses 29 30 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Obviously, it's quite a famous verse and, and well used, I would say. But remember, if you're in a difficult situation, his intention is to build you up. His intention is to bring you through. His intention isn't to belittle you or make you feel small. And as you remain close to him in faith, he will show you the next step on the journey. Jesus wants to work with you as you are and with what you have. And if you will give to God what he asks of you, what he asks of you, 
not what anybody else around you considers that you should be giving to him. Because we've all got our opinions. If you asked 20 people what you should do in a situation, you'd probably get 10, at least 10 different, different nuances. So it's, and that's great, you take on board what people say, but ultimately, it's what he wants of you that, it, that matters. You do what he wants, and you'll see God bless it. You'll see God crack open whatever situation you're in. So remember, God, Jesus rather, loves you. And he's wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. My Jesus is wonderful. So that's all I plan to say this evening. Um, I don't really know uh, what God wants to do this evening with it. Maybe it's just to encourage you if you do feel like that. I don't know. So I'll hand back to Dave and maybe you've got some idea better than me. No, I'll just pray then. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the different characteristics we've seen from this story, Lord. We thank you that you are a compassionate God. We thank you that you meet our needs. We thank you that you lead us and guide us by your spirit through our lives, Lord. We thank you for your rod. We thank you for your staff and we thank you for your word, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as we go through our life this week, Lord, in the situations that you know about, Lord, that we may find hard or easy, Lord, we pray that we will hear your small voice, Lord. We've loved to be in your presence, your tangible presence this evening, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we will find it easy to hear your voice this week as we go about our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.